Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. You know, there there are moments when uh, just things happen that were supposed to be a joke, and you're like, okay, we're keeping it. We're keeping it. That was amazing. Dave had no idea that Bo was behind him, but my goodness, that was just pure gold, and Dave was just so locked in. I mean, it was so on point, bro. It was just, it was perfect. Okay, let's get this over with off the top. Um, Some of y'all know, some of y'all know uh, that yesterday, uh, it, it was a dark day for me. It was a really dark day for me, and uh, in God's sovereignty and in God's humor, I'm supposed to be preaching on joy today. I don't know how I'm going to do it, except for the fact that my ultimate hope and joy is not in the Georgia Bulldogs, it's in Jesus, praise God, but I'm still, I'm still feeling it a little bit. I'm still feeling it a little bit. Our defense took a vacation, and that's all I'm going to say about that, but we're coming for you, Bama, in the national championship playoffs. We're going to be there, so we got another shot. Woo, I, f- I feel like we should pray. A um, couple announcements and we'll, then we'll pray. Hey, as, uh, as you heard Pastor Dave mention in our church news, we are moving back to two services come January 9th. So excited about that. Um, 9 and 10.45 a.m. January 9th. You'll be hearing more about it as we come closer to that day. And then also just another reminder, want to keep saying this, on December 26th, so it's the Sunday right after Christmas Day, we are not having a physical service in the building on that day. We're going to be having church at home on that day. We've got an awesome program for you and your families for the day after Christmas. And so please join in, log in with us, and, and watch us on YouTube. And just a, a quick plug for that. If you don't subscribe to our YouTube channel, it's an awesome way to stay in touch if you're out of town or just to... to Stay tracking with us as a church as we continue to move towards 2022 and the rest of this year. And uh, lastly, this past week, we had, man, we had some amazing ladies on campus. Let me hear it, ladies, if y'all were here helping out with the Christmas serve event. I heard one guy yelling over here. I don't know if he was there, but uh, we did have 120 women show up. It was amazing. They packed, and I I left my phone back there, so I'm going to get all the details wrong, but over 200 care uh, ornaments and packets, and help me out, sweetheart, what'd y'all do? It sounded awesome. (laughs) You don't have to come all the way up here, but you can if you want. (laughs) You can see what it was, care packets for, um, partnered with St. John's uh, ministry in downtown Sacramento for women. I am botching this so hard. It was amazing. For the 50 was in full effect, and what an awesome, awesome opportunity it was for us. So you women are amazing. Now we're gonna pray and get into God's word. So let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the chance to open your word together, to look at this reality of joy, something that all of us so desperately need something that all of us long for in life. And so, Father, I ask right now that you would meet us where we are, that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide us in our time together. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 
So as I mentioned, we are in a season right now of Advent. And the word Advent, it's an amazing word. It simply means arrival. The word Advent means arrival. And this, this really beautiful thing was decided by the early church fathers, some of the first Christians. They said, hey, there are a couple things that we celebrate every year as Christians that are actually so important. We don't want anyone to miss the significance and the weight of these events. So we're going to set aside a period of time leading up to these events so we can actually get our hearts ready for what historically happened. And we can remember every single year the power of these two events. The two events that we prepare our hearts for as Christians every year are Christmas and Easter. The birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, God coming down to earth as a man. So important. It was the turning point in history. It was nothing like it had ever been conceived before that God would become a man so he could die for us. And it's so important, the early church father said, we want, we want to put a, a period of expectation and hope and longing before we celebrate Christmas so that our hearts can be ready and we won't miss the moment. And so we're in this season called Advent where we are cultivating a longing and expectation for the arrival of Jesus. And traditionally, there are four words that are focused on during Advent because these four words are, are what Jesus brought to the world. They're what Jesus represents to the world. Last week, Pastor Dave, he preached on hope. Advent in Jesus means the arrival of hope to the world. This week, we're looking at joy, the arrival, the advent of joy. Jesus brought peace, so every year there's this arrival of peace with the arrival of Christ, who was the Prince of Peace. And then the fourth word is love. Christmas represents the arrival of God's love to the earth. And we all love arrivals, don't we? We love this idea of arrival. We love arriving at a destination after a long trip. I know recently my parents came to town and we went to go pick them up. Um, it was during Thanksgiving break at the airport and my kids were so excited. We were all excited about the arrival of my parents who live back east and we don't get to see them very often. But we love arrivals. And the beautiful thing about Advent, the beautiful thing about Christmas is that we're not just celebrating the fact that hope arrived one time 2,000 years ago. We're not just celebrating that joy arrived one time 2,000 years ago or that peace arrived once or that love arrived once. The beautiful thing about Advent and the arrival of Christ is not just that he arrived once and then rose from the dead and went back to heaven and said, good luck. It's that he's constantly arriving in our lives with these things. It's that Jesus is constantly showing up in our lives if we will open ourselves up to it with peace, with hope, with joy, with the unconditional love of God. And he's applying it to our lives in every situation that we face. And so today we're gonna look at the arrival of joy and we're gonna look specifically at two different parts of this. Number one, we're gonna look at the source of joy. Where does joy come from? Where do we find our ultimate source of joy? And then two, we're gonna look at the practice of joy. Because joy is something that was freely given to us in Christ, but it's also something that you and I have to cultivate and participate in 
on a daily basis. It's something that we have to cultivate in our own lives. And so we're gonna start by looking at one of the most famous Christmas passages of all time, Luke 2, verse 10 to 11. If you have a Bible, you can open it. It'll be right here on the screen. And I wanna, I wanna take us through this passage together. It's something that you've probably heard before if you've been around church in the Christmas season, but here's what it says. It says, the angel said to them, this is the angel to the shepherds in the field, said something simple, fear not, for behold, I bring you, and this is key, good news of great joy. Joy is coming. I've got good news of great joy. Who's it gonna be for, angels? Who's this joy for? We're all looking for joy. Who's it gonna be for? That will be for all the people, everyone on earth. Joy for everyone. For on this day in the city of David, a savior is born for you, who is Christ the Lord. So the angels announced to the shepherds, they announced to the entire world, they said, hey, joy is coming. Joy is coming. Joy is here. Joy has arrived. Happiness, contentment, the longing of every human heart has come to earth. And we're announcing this as good news to you. And it's amazing because God knows this and you and I know this. Joy is not optional. It's essential. It's foundational to life. You were not created. You were not made by God to live without joy. That's why depression is such a serious medical condition. And I understand that depression is more than just the lack of joy, but depression includes the lack of joy. You can't make it without joy. We were designed to have joy in our lives. It's not optional. And, you know, every human heart is in pursuit of joy. Whether you realize it or not, you're looking for joy. You're looking for happiness. For many of us, it's, it influences everything we do. It's why we took the career that we wanted to take. It's why we married who we wanted to marry. It's why we live where we live. We all want happiness. We just seek it in different ways. But all of us are looking for it. All of us are in pursuit of joy. Now, for God to announce good news of great joy for everyone, for God to make this announcement is a big deal. What God is saying is that everything you've been looking for, maybe everything you've spent your whole life pursuing, it's all right here. It's all in my son, Jesus. The deepest desire and longing for your heart, it's here. This is good news for all the people. Joy has arrived in the person of my son. And I wanna say this so clearly. We all know this. Joy in your life and in mine, it comes from somewhere. I mean, it's not often that you're just walking around and joy just lands on your head for no reason. There's a source to joy. There's an object that brings us joy. There's a person. There's a situation. You know, maybe a friend sets you up on a blind date and it went awesome for once. Joy. Maybe you were walking on a trail through the mountains and the experience of joy just filled you because you love the wilderness. Maybe it's a long conversation with an old friend over coffee. 
Maybe that's what brings you joy. Maybe it's a vacation by the ocean. Maybe it's the last concert you attended. Maybe your team actually won the big game. So you experience joy. Maybe your kid got into that college. Maybe you were able to help someone navigate through a hard season of their life and serving them brought you joy. Maybe you bought a gift for Christmas around town and you know that in a few weeks from now, some kid that was not gonna get a gift is gonna open a box and they're gonna smile and their joy is gonna bring you joy. Joy comes from somewhere. It always has a source or an object that it's attached to that brings joy into your life. And the main thing that God is announcing is this, and this is what he says so clearly in this text. He says, look, your source of joy, I'm bringing good news of great joy, and the source of this joy is right here, a savior. A savior is born. I've sent someone to rescue you. I'll never forget, my, my wife and I, a few years back, we brought a friend with us to church, which is a great thing to do, especially because this, this person was not a Christian. And we were friends with them, you know, we, we had relationship with them, and we said, hey, why don't you come to church with us? And she said, okay, I'll come. And uh, she joined us for church, and after church, you know, it, there's nothing that kind of opens your eyes to the entire church experience, like somebody sitting next to you who, who's either never been to church or doesn't believe the same things, and I want to say that's you today. You're welcome here. We love you. So glad you came. Awesome opportunity for you to check out who we are and what we believe, but it really does open your eyes to see it from a different lens, and after the service, as we were walking out, she, she asked us a very simple question. She goes, hey, I thought it was great. It was really an awesome time. She goes, but I, I was wondering, why, you know, why did the preacher, it wasn't me, it's at my former church, why did the pastor keep talking about this idea of salvation? Like, talk about saving us, saving me. What do I need to be saved from? Am I in danger right now? Like, what's happening, Right? This was a paradigm shift for her. She's like, what, what is everyone talking about being saved or salvation for? What's the reason? What's the purpose for it? And I think that's a massive question. That's the most important question. And we find the answer to that question actually in Matthew 1, 21. It says this regarding Jesus. Matthew 1, 21 says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Sins, sin. Some of you are thinking, great, this is why I don't come to church. <laughs> you know, I think we've lost touch with this idea of salvation and sin. And maybe if you're new here, you're thinking, I I'm tired of hearing about the things that I've done wrong or the sins in my life that I need saving from. But here's the deal, and this is the connection I wanna make for us. When the Bible talks about dealing with sin, what the Bible is actually talking about is dealing with death, there may be some of you in here today, you're like, look, I don't even wanna hear about all this sin stuff. It's not relevant to me. I, you know, I believe, I believe what I believe and God's cool with me and all those sort of things. But I'm telling you this, you may not wanna hear about sin, but the reality of death is relevant to every single one of us. The reality of death is something we're all familiar with. We're all aware of. We've seen it perhaps too many times in the past two years. 
And so when the Bible is talking about a savior who will save you from sin, what the Bible is referring to is that this reality of sin in the beginning separated us from the source of life who is Jesus Christ and brought this unwelcome guest into God's good world called death. And so if God can deal and save us, if he can deal with and save us from this sin problem, then he can lead us into life everlasting. And he can deal with the death problem too. That's why this is good news. This is actually the source of all joy. That God has made a way. He sent a savior to save you from death. To bring new life into your life. Not just into your heart, but forever with him. That's the message of Christmas. So the source of joy, if you want to know where this comes from. The ultimate source of joy for the Christian is a savior who lived a perfect life. His name was Jesus, and he rose from the dead to deal with the sin problem so that we could have life and life with him forever. Amen? The other thing we see as we think about this, this reality of the arrival of joy We see the source of joy is this savior who's been given as a gift to the world, but we gotta move now to the practice of joy. What does it look like to experience this joy in your life? What does it look like to live in this place of joy? And and we know this, our brain, and I've used this analogy before, in the summer, for whatever reason, there's a month or two around our house where there is a swarm of flies. It just feels like flies are coming from everywhere. So we got this flypaper stuff on Amazon, life hack right here. If you deal with flies, this stuff is amazing. Just put it on the lower right-hand corner of any window in your house. And for some reason, all the flies go to it and it deals with your fly problem. Just a life hack. So the, uh, the reality is this, our brains work like flypaper. They just work like flypaper. Any, especially around negativity, negative thoughts around worry, around anxiety, we remember anxious or fearful things 14 times more effectively than we remember happy or joyful things. It's unbelievable to realize that when you wake up and you bombard your your psyche and your brain with a 24-7 news cycle that is literally designed to make you afraid and anxious, because it knows that your brain is drawn to that. It's like flies sticking on the flypaper of your brain and you can't get them off. We're feeding ourselves on these cycles of negativity. We're comparing ourselves on social media and all these things begin to sink into our life. And so the practice of joy is really important. And sometimes you gotta look at your inputs and you gotta realize, man, there's some things I might need to just cut out for a season if I wanna fight for my joy. If I wanna actually experience the joy that God has promised me in Christ. I love what Richard Foster said. He said it like this. The decision to set the mind on on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why joy is a discipline. It's not something that falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. It's a result of what you choose to give your attention to, your heart to, your affections to. And so how do we practice this? 
I'm going to read a passage from John 15 that's going to give us some guidance here. John 15, starting in verse 5 through 11, it says this. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is him that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a bold statement. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For by this, my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the key. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, complete. So everything that Jesus just said right there, he summed it up. He goes, I said all of this to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. You would live and experience the fullness of the joy that I want for you. So what does it look like for us to remain? What does it look like for us to remain in the joy of God? It says this in verse five, and we'll look at this together. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever, again, this is so key, remains in me, and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. And this, this word fruit is so important. For apart from me, you can do, let's say it together, nothing. You can do nothing apart from God. John 15, five. So what does it look like for us to remain? If all of this is moving us towards joy, if this is the prescription for how we practice and actually experience joy in our lives, which we're all looking for, what does God say? Well, the first thing he says is that if you remain in me, you will produce something in your life called fruit, namely the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it's talking about here when the Bible talks about fruit. Maybe you've seen this list before. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. I don't care where you stand on your convictions about Christianity or religions or, or, or faith. Everybody wants this. This is a universal list. We, we all want this sort of fruit in our lives. We want our bosses to have this fruit. We want our spouses, our children, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. We wanna be around people that experience joy, that, that have love for one another, that bring peace and patience and kindness and goodness and live with self-control. This is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. He says, the way you get this is if you remain in me. Okay, Jesus, how do we remain in you? What's the, what's the way that we practice this reality of remaining in you? Because we know, and we've seen this over and over again in our own lives, and I've said this already, joy is not just something that happens to us. It's something we must choose to participate in. We have to remain in Christ. We have to actively choose Christ. Um, how many of you all got a real Christmas tree this year? Show of hands, real Christmas tree people. I love it. We just transitioned to fake trees this past year and something's missing. Something's missing. We had to get the candle, you know, to make the house smell like a real tree. 
It's good, but it's not the same. But you'll notice this, right? If you're, whether you buy your tree the day after Thanksgiving or the week before, whenever you decorate, by the time Christmas morning comes around, you look at that Christmas tree and really it looks about the same as day one, doesn't it, right? It looks just about the same as the day you brought it home and perhaps you watered it, perhaps you, you know, did what you could to keep it looking green as long as you could. But when the day comes to take off the lights and the ornaments, what happens? Like the first little touch on that tree and it's like, all the needles come falling down. They all come falling down. Why? Because the tree was severed from the root, from the vine, from the source of life. And even though on the outside it might look green and pretty with all the lights, that sucker is withering and dying. It's withering and dying. And in verse six, you know, again, this is one of those verses that some of you may be like, hey, this is why I don't like church. But I think we gotta follow the metaphor. Verse six, it says, if anyone does not remain in me or abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch that withers. We know how this works. I have, you know, redwood trees in my backyard. When the branches fall off the tree, it's not very long before they turn brown and they're brittle. And so what do I do with those? I literally gather those branches up and I use them as kindling for my fire. And that's what Jesus is saying. And I honestly don't believe this is a, a statement here about hell. I don't think Jesus is actually referencing that here. He does in other places, but not here. I think what Jesus is actually saying is this. You have two choices in life, in all of life. And it's, it's a simple you know, analogy of agriculture that we see. And it also applies to our souls. That's what he's trying to get through to us. He's like, look, if you choose to remain in God, if you choose to live in relationship with the source of life, who is Jesus Christ, you'll live. Your life will flourish. You won't just be green on the outside, but dying on the inside. You'll be alive on the inside. But if you, on the other hand, reject God in your life, if you choose not to abide in Christ, if you choose to refuse actively nourishing your relationship with Christ and you are slowly going to wither, your soul is going to harden and wither, God designed you, he created you to be in Christ, to be in relationship with Christ. And apart from him, your soul will begin to shrink. The same is true. This analogy is so true for our spiritual lives. We can go to church we can sing songs, we can try to do the right things, we can be involved in small groups. Your family, your life, and your marriage can look green on the outside, but on the inside, if you're not daily choosing Christ and to walk with him, if you're cut off from the vine, the roots, then internally you are withering away. Oscar Wilde said something amazing. He said, at one point in my life, I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character. Every little action of my life is leading me towards goodness, character, or the opposite direction. We don't just arrive at these devastating moments and be like, wow, how'd I get here? It's like, follow the trail, follow the breadcrumbs. It's just a principle of nature. It's how life works. I played uh, competitive tennis for 11 years of my life. Thought I was gonna play D1 tennis in college. Loved it as a sport. Walked on at the University of Georgia. Was never gonna be in the top six. Those guys were another level. 
I was there at the same time John Isner was there, so that gives you an idea if you follow tennis. It was a good tennis team. And so I, um, I decided after my first semester to actually step away from the team. I was just on the practice squad. And uh, it was a cool experience for a semester, but I realized even just being on the practice squad was going to take up all my time and I was gonna have no life in college. And so I decided to, to step away from tennis. I hung up my rackets. And over the past 18 years, I'm not exaggerating, I think I've played tennis seven times. Seven times in 18 years. <laughs> and a dear friend of mine, maybe a month ago or so, said, hey man, I know you played tennis back in the day. Uh, you wanna go out and play? And honestly, I was like, oh man, you know, Tennis is almost more frustrating for me now because I remember how I used to be able to play it. And you step out there and you just can't even, can't even hack it even close to what you used to be able to do. And I said, sure, well, let's go play. We'll go play a set. And I remember the first forehand that I, I stepped up to, to take as an approach shot and it legitimately went off the back of the fence. And then the next one I hit went like bounced before it even got to the net. I couldn't volley, I couldn't serve. It was, it was like this ridiculous level of decay in terms of my ability in tennis. Why? Because I didn't practice. I didn't remain in the sport. I left it behind 18 years ago. So it's gonna take a lot of work to get back into the sport. And friends, the same is true for our spiritual lives. If you never practice, if you never nourish your skills, you don't hone your skills spiritually. They will fade. So how do we practice this? How do we remain? Well, Jesus gives us an answer here in John 15, five to seven. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that's not a, a genie in the bottle verse, okay? That's not like a, all right, Jesus, really need a new car right now. Could really use a raise this month. It's not a genie in the bottle verse right there. He's talking about fruit. He's like, hey, if you're anxious and you need peace in your life, abide in me, remain in me. Make sure my words abide in you. If you're sorrowful and depressed, make sure my words abide in you and you'll experience joy. You'll experience the goodness of life. You'll, you'll begin to experience self Control. So the first part to practicing joy is very simply this. Remain in God's word. Remain in God's word. Question for all of you. Does God's word live in you? Are you winning the daily battle of remaining in God's word? Are you winning the daily battle of remaining in God's word? Question for you again. What's the operating system of your life? Anybody have to download the new operating system for your iPhone, 15 point whatever. Drives me crazy. I'm always having to update my iPhone. If I don't, it, it quits working. But the operating system is what makes the whole thing function. It's what makes all the apps work. It's, it's how the phone works. And so many of us are downloading on a daily basis an operating system that is filling your life with anxiety, that is filling your life with negativity, with depression, with sorrow, with angst, as you feed yourself the narrative that the world is pushing at you. And what Jesus is saying is you wanna practice joy? Make sure that you remain in my word. Make sure my word is the operating system of your life. The first thing you do when you get up in the morning, saturate yourself in the gospel and in God's word before you touch the phone. And I would say get a physical Bible 
Because the moment you touch your phone, the Bible app might be your intention, but dang, there's like eight notifications. I'll get to the Bible app in just a second. This email looks important. Ooh, I, I wanna see what that text message said. I wanna check Instagram, Facebook, news app. I, I found this amazing feature on my phone. Again, feel free to use this. For the first three hours of my day, I put my phone on downtime. The whole thing is shut down. It's crazy. I started like shaking the first day I did it. <laughs> it's wild. I picked it up and I'm like, nothing, it's completely shut down. It's totally shut down. I have it shut down until a certain point so I can actually think. So I actually clear my mind and, and, and get some thoughts in order because I have to stand up here every week and share thoughts from God's word. So I put it on downtime. It's one of these things for me where we have to saturate ourselves in God's word. It has to become the operating system of our lives. Jesus's life, death, and resurrection should be the first news you consider in the morning and the last thing you think about as you head off to bed. Make it the, the, the book caps of your day. Make it the, the, the beginning and the end of your day, the first thing you think about and the last thing that you consider as you go to bed. Friends, it is the index of our reality. God's word is the index of our reality. And it's never been easier to access God's word, but it's never been harder to focus on God's word. We're so distracted. Jesus says, you wanna, you wanna remain in me? You wanna practice joy in your life? You wanna find joy in your life? Let my words abide in you. Let them live in you. Just start studying the Bible. Get a friend, find accountability, a chapter a day, a verse a day, some prayer. It will begin to take root in you. Number two, and this is so important, we have to remember if we wanna practice joy that God is not finished yet. It's the amazing promise of this, this passage of scripture. What? Jesus is saying, he says, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing, but what's the flip side of that? What does Jesus say earlier in John? With me, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So apart from me, you can't do anything, but with me, if you remain in me and my word abides in you, then ask what you will and it will be done for you. God is not done with you yet. He's not finished Yet, and so this practice, this is an amazing thought. The practice of joy means we never get out, give up on ourselves and we never give up on others. We never give up on ourselves and we never give up on others. I don't care how bad the anxiety is. I don't care how bad the depression is. I don't care how hard the marriage is. I don't care how hard the situation is at work or in your family or whatever you're facing today. It's not over yet. And if you're here today, God is saying, look, begin to turn to me, begin to get into my word, get into community, begin to pray and ask me into the situation. I'm not finished yet. Parents, do not give up on your kids. Do not stop praying for them. Friends, don't give up on your friends. Kids, don't give up on your parents. It's a beautiful truth right here. Jesus is saying, look, you can't do anything apart from me, but with me, you can do everything. And if you abide in my word, remain in my word, and you ask for me to show up, amazing things are gonna start happening in your life. Amazing things. You can ask for joy 
to break the cloud of sorrow. You can ask for true happiness. You can ask for self-control instead of constant defeat from addiction and binges. You can ask for love to break the stronghold of bitterness. You can ask for peace to break the power of anxiety in your life. You can ask for patience instead of outbursts of rage. If God's word and the, the reality of Jesus becomes the operating system of your soul, if you are connected to the life of God, then ask for the fruit to grow in your life, and it will. Friends, I don't say this lightly. Christians are the most realistic people in the world. We know evil. We know suffering. We know pain. We know guilt. We know sin. But we have incredible hope and joy in the face of all these things because the very spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and he lives in me. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. We've all got a little Rocky Balboa in us. Just don't quit. Last one. I'm closing with this. The keys can come on out. You're going to practice joy. You have to remain in God's word. You have to remember that God's not finished yet. All things are possible with God. It will bring you such joy to know that no matter where you're at, your story's not done yet. Number three, you have to receive and keep. Receive and keep. This is the last passage we're gonna look at. And here's what it says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. So the first thing that Jesus is saying right now is something so simple and free. Imagine the love between the Father and the Son as the Father has loved Jesus. Jesus never did anything wrong, never broke a command, never sinned, never failed once, never failed his Father once. There was nothing but perfect union and love between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says, quite possibly, the, the most remarkable thing in the Bible. Just like God loves me, just like our relationship is this close, so have I loved you. And it is not because we had our act together. It's not because we were perfect. It's not because we never let him down. It's not because we, we never ran from him. It's not because we never went our own way. It's just because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you. And not just a little bit of love, the same amount of love that the Father God has for his perfect son is resting on you. You have to receive that. That will be a source of unending joy in your life. That's how you practice joy. You receive the love of God. Then the other side of it is you keep. It says, if abide in my love, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. You will experience my love and joy. And I think about this. I remember when Sawyer was maybe three years old. Man, parents, are you with me on this? Three is worse than two. Like, everyone says the terrible twos, but the threes are worse. And I remember we were at the mall. We were heading to the mall one day. He was so young, and he hated the car seat, but I think he actually hated worse that when I got him out of the car seat, he had to hold my hand in the parking lot. And you know how toddlers are. They're just 
pulling against you. They're just like running as hard as they can to break the grip that you have on their hands. But you also know, if I let go of this hand, that child will die in 30 seconds out here. Toddlers are just, they're just prone. They're magnets for danger. And it's crazy because, you know, as our children grow up, as we raise these amazing kids into adults, you know, we, we have to tell them time and time and time again, brush your teeth, brush your hair, make your bed, take a shower, eat your vegetables, say sorry, be kind, extend forgiveness, show respect to your teacher, play fair with your classmates, be a good sport. And even though there's part of them that are just like, oh, let go of the hand. Let me run. Give me freedom. Mom and dad, you're so oppressive to me. Their little toddler heart. They hated every second of the instruction when they were a child, but when they survived to adulthood, they realized that everything you did as a parent was from the place of love. And so when God says, look, I've set out a way for you to live, a way of humility, of forgiveness, of purity, I've asked you to keep my commands, not because I want to oppress your life, but because I know what's best for you. And the way that you trust the commands of God is that you realize on the other side of that arm that's holding you is infinite love, is infinite and unending love. And so even when keeping the commands of God and following the way of Jesus feels like dying to yourself, because it is, you can realize the one who's holding your hand and saying, follow me, loves you perfectly in the middle of your mess. And so friends, as we share a moment of communion together, we just need to remember the source of joy is the Savior. And the way that we practice joy is to remain in God's word daily. Are you winning the battle of God's word daily? Remember that God's not finished yet and receive his love and keep his commands, amen? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. And right now, as we take communion together, Lord, we remember, we remember so clearly that your love is unconditional and that you so love the world that you gave your son for us. And I pray, Lord, that those today who have felt downtrodden and sorrowful would experience joy maybe for the first time in a long time. Lord, thank you for your body that was broken for us and thank you for your blood that was shed for us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.